We'll read again from the sixth chapter of the book of Daniel, verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. What stands out to me today on this text is not so much that he prayed, but the manner in which he prayed. He prayed with a spirit of appreciation to God. And this was nothing new. That is how he prayed always. An antonym of appreciation is depreciation. You know how that works with a car. If you buy a car and drive it off the lot, the moment you drive it off the lot, it is worth less than it was, well, than what you paid for it. That's depreciation. A home is a bit different. It typically appreciates. Maybe not as quickly as a car depreciates, but a home generally increases in value over time. Even if there is a correction in the market, which obviously happens from time to time, if you hold on for a number of years, it will probably be worth more after that number of years than it was when you acquired it. So that's appreciation. Life does not work exactly the same way. When conditions deteriorate, we generally appreciate life less. When circumstances improve, we appreciate life more. But Daniel refused to be held hostage by those deteriorating conditions. For him, the conditions had depreciated, but his regard for God appreciated. We want that same spirit. Perhaps that's why he's characterized as having had an excellent spirit. It didn't matter what was going on in life, Daniel's appreciation for God was always on the upside. Somebody has mentioned, I've heard it before, that typically from someone elderly, elderly always being defined as someone older than you are, but they said that uh, old age is, is not, well, I can't remember how they say it now, but it's, 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 not, it's no fun. And my response was, well, the good news is that old age does not last long. The psalmist said, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. And if the Lord allows us to, to live a certain length of time, we will all be able to say that I am I was young and now I'm old. Daniel could say that. He, he was, most think, pushing 90, upper 80s, maybe into his 90s even. 
But the psalmist said this, I have been young, now I'm old, I've not seen the righteous forsaken. You live long enough and you will see conditions that deteriorate. But you will not see that God has forsaken you. That is something worth appreciating. God is good. That's the way Daniel felt. He was taught it as a child in the Hebrew home where he grew up. Hebrew homes were generally quite devout. They were taught from uh, Moses' time uh, forward. And that was part of the, the commandment, was to gather around God's word, to teach the children the law of the Lord. So they spent time doing that. And over time, they developed a, a, a system of, of gathering in the synagogue was developed with the reading of the law being a part of it. We see that even in Jesus' day where he stood up for to read. And he did from what we know as uh, the book of Isaiah and what they knew as the scroll of Isaiah. So that, that was a pattern of behavior that was taught in the home where Daniel grew up. He was taught to be prayerful and taught to be thankful. And that, that stuck with him. Every Christian home has uh, the same uh, determination within it to teach children to pray and to be thankful to God and to be thankful to one another. A few years ago, we were praying with one of our grandchildren who was obviously anxious to get on with his day and play. So we took turns that day uh, praying, Debbie and me and, and the grandchild. And when it came for his term, term, uh, turn uh, to, to pray, I remember him saying, thank you for everything and everybody. Let's get to, to playing. I mean, how can you improve upon that? I think you can improve upon that, but you've covered it all. At least that was in his young mind that uh, he had done so. But at least he was being taught in his home uh, to pray. When Daniel was a, a teenager, perhaps early teens, everything changed. Except for his appreciation to God. But life as he knew it was altogether different. When he was carried away captive, we assume, at least I do, that his parents were slain. He was carried into a distant land against his will where he did not know the language or the culture. But he was among those who was chosen to be educated according to the way of the Chaldeans. They tried to change everything about him. They even changed his name. They wanted to change his devotion. They, they changed uh, what he was taught in school. But they couldn't change what existed within. And within existed a profound appreciation for the goodness of God that even though conditions had depreciated and it had not affected his gratitude toward the Lord. And we see at least a glimpse of Daniel's life 
over the decades, from those uh, teenage years uh, to now where he's an elder statesman. We don't see a lot of, of life, but one thing appears to have been consistent over the decades, and that was uh, the way he prayed and the fact that he got on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. He did it as a teen. He did it in his 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. He loved God. Administrations changed. Even his friends, we don't know what happened to them. He was eventually separated from them, apparently. Maybe they passed on. Daniel here appears at, at this uh, uh, point in time, as you heard in the uh, scripture reading, to basically be uh, sequestered or isolated uh, to his home. The decree had been given. What, what, what do you do for 30 days? I mean, 30 days a month. Just don't pray for a month and the problem is solved. Who would know? Just go to your home and... I don't know that that ever occurred to him. He was, it was ingrained. It was part of the fabric of his being. Was to do what he did aforetime. How did he pray? Did he pray out loud? I don't know. Did he pray quietly? I don't know. Did he pray the same way in terms of volume as he had aforetime? It wouldn't have hurt to say, okay, I'm going to pray, but rather than pray audibly like this, I can pray like Hannah of old in, in my mind and say the prayer that way. I don't think it really would have mattered because outside his door, his room, or that part of the place where he lived, or maybe it was across the way and those who were conspiring against him could, could look down and, and see into what he was doing. But he remembered Solomon's prayer when the temple was dedicated, which was that if uh, the children of Israel were carried away captive, uh, they could only uh, open their window from a distant land toward Jerusalem and pray, and God in heaven would, would honor that prayer and hear from heaven and answer. I don't think he was really moved one way or the other. If those guys probably didn't give it much, much thought. I'm just going to pray. That's what I've always done. I'm going to do it. And so he did. He knew the edict. If you ask a petition of anyone, I don't know how strong or forceful that was. Could you ask your, your son or your daughter, hey, will you bring me a cup of water? I don't think so. I think it was related to God. That's the only place where they could find a fault in his life. And so they, they watched. The eyes were upon him. What would he do? Well, the eyes are upon you. Not just now, but always. What will you do? What will you do when it comes to serving God? Uh, people are watching. People are standing back to find fault with uh, you in your devotion to God whether it be at work or at school or in, in the neighborhood, uh, that's, that hasn't changed. 
I'm not not talking about the circumstances of today either. I'm talking about a year from now, if Jesus tarries, or a year ago. You're being watched. I recall one time where where I worked dealing with counting matters and deadlines, and we had a postage meter in the office, and someone was late to send in their payment, but the postage meter would stamp the date, so my boss. Uh, told me to well, just change the date and, and get it mailed. I'm not going to do that. Why would I do that? Actually, he didn't ask me. He had the secretary ask me. So I didn't say it to him. I said it to her. You're being watched. That's a simple thing. That, that wasn't complicated. That wasn't hard. I suppose uh, there would be times when uh, there are dilemmas. What, what to do? Well, we're going to do what we did aforetime. We're going to be devoted to God and have a heart full of appreciation to God and do our best to express it to him. And that's, and that's what Daniel did. We saw in the beginning of the chapter how he was promoted. 120 princes, three presidents, of which Daniel was one. It could be that each president had a jurisdiction over 40 of those 120, but there was something about Daniel that King Darius saw, an excellent spirit in him, a man of integrity. So it looks like uh, Daniel was about to be uh, promoted as prime minister, if you will, or to have oversight of even the other two presidents. Well, they were, they were jealous. And they were filled with contempt. And pretty soon it, it became a, a bitter hatred of Daniel, and they were determined to uh, see that he uh, was damaged. But he, I don't think, was much influenced, really. He found that the den of lions awaited one who would violate that decree. But violate that decree he did, and as he prayed, well, how would you have prayed in your appreciation? I would appreciate it, Lord, if I w- would not have to go to that den of lions. They use those lions to inflict damage on criminals. And we know they were hungry because after Daniel was delivered, uh, the conspirators were tossed into that lion's den and their bodies never uh, touched the ground because the lions uh, devoured them and broke them in pieces before they could. And it costs the, their household, too. You, you, you do wrong. And it's not just you who pays. It's, it impacts your children. And it did here. Well, God didn't answer that prayer the way Daniel had hoped he would because the moment came when the Persian guards came to secure him from his room after the conspirators had went to Darius, had gone to Darius rather, and, and said to him, didn't you sign this decree uh, that no one would ask a petition of any god except of you, uh, sir? Well, Darius, he didn't get to be the king for no reason, but he wasn't too sharp on this issue for sure because he liked Daniel. And they had beguiled him, appealed to his ego. 
So they said to him, well, Daniel has been praying like he has done aforetime. Oh, he was grieved. Darius was. He thought, oh, no. Um, what will I do? And he called his people together. See what you can do to secure the release of Daniel. Get me out of this jam that I'm in. Well, they came back to him. Uh, we, we find in subsequent verses that you know, the, the law that you have signed is according to the law of the Medes and Persians, and it's irrevocable. It cannot be changed. It must be carried out. He was grieved, Darius was, but he gave the order to have Daniel secured and put into the lion's den. And that's where he went, into the lion's den. What was it like in the lion's den? I, I don't know. You have creative imaginations. Did the lions roar at him and intimidate him and uh, frighten him? No, I don't think so. My imagination won't allow for that. I know the angel of the Lord, that, that one who was in the fiery furnace some decades earlier, uh, stepped in there. But I don't, I don't picture Daniel as having been frightened. I picture him as seeing those lions laying there and taking a nap and, and laying back down and using uh, the, the softest part of the lion for a pillow and sleeping soundly while King Darius was fretting all night long. And in the morning, at the break of day, Darius shows up at the lion's den and said, Oh, oh Daniel, was your God who you serve occasionally, from time to time, no, continually. He knew this, Daniel, was your God, who you serve continually, able to deliver you. And he heard the sweetest sound he'd maybe ever heard, O king, live forever. The Lord has sent an angel, shut the lion's mouths, and uh, before long, Daniel stepped out, just as refreshed as could be. Well, it could have gone the other way. It wouldn't have changed Daniel's appreciation to, for God. No, we, we have a lot to appreciate as well. We, we step into these services or watch online. We appreciate uh, Brother Gary and, and the orchestra and, and the musicians when we can't have an orchestra who have carried on in, the, in these services uh, month after month now. It's a blessing. We thank God for it. We appreciate the uh, staff who uh, ushers us and, and does their best to, they do their best to uh, keep us spaced out and safe. And those who are here during the week to uh, sanitize uh, the environment. We appreciate God, that God is good all the time. We appreciate, like Daniel, having a testimony. You know, I've been saved a few years now, but I've only been saved, this is, to me, it's profound, nine years longer than my children. How can that be? Well. It, it can be because 
I got saved at age 21, and they got saved at ages four and five the same year, 1983. I was saved in 1974. They gave their hearts to God in, in 1983. They've, almost, they've been saved almost as long as I have been saved. But this isn't uh, like uh, some careers where after you serve two or three years, you're, you're tenured. So that means no matter what you do, you're... You're, 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 you're in. So longevity in terms of being saved, I'm not suggesting that that gains you anything. Getting saved will gain you heaven if you stick with it. If you keep doing what you have done aforetime after you got saved. And that is uh, appreciating the God of heaven. Debbie was saved young as well. She's, so she's a veteran in the gospel. What God has given us, uh, the family of God, we appreciate that. We, we have uh, so much to give thanks to God for. We have friends as well as family who uh, reinforce and encourage our faith and inspire us along the way as we, as we see them uh, continuing uh, steadfastly to do what they did aforetime with uh, hearts full of appreciation to God. We, we appreciate having the freedom of worship. We don't have to hide all over the world, we have those in, in countries who have oppressive conditions where they must worship God in secret. Here lately in uh, India, uh, where our saints uh, worship God, they uh, were, were not allowed for a time not sure of the conditions uh, very lately, but they, they couldn't leave the house. If they, if they left the house, they were beaten. Persecution uh, around the world, global persecution, has only increased uh, in recent years compared to earlier years. We don't read about it uh, generally because it's largely uh, ignored. We don't suffer that as Christians. Here, we, we uh, can express ourselves uh, openly in our faith in God. That's something for which we give God thanks for. But even if uh, we were oppressed to the point where we couldn't do it, we, it wouldn't change our appreciation for God. No, Daniel taught us that. Daniel's resolve was the same at age 90 as it had been at age 13. He was unmoved. And so when he got down to pray three times a day, he made his petitions to God with appreciation, with thanksgiving. That's, that's the lesson. That's how we approach God. Whether we're in the sanctuary of the Lord whether we're at home, we want to be among those who make it a priority to worship God and to do so in a manner that follows Daniel's example. 
and that is with a thankful heart. We're going to have an invitation song here uh, in the sanctuary. We'll close in prayer, after which we'll do what Daniel did. We'll go to prayer and we'll express our thanksgiving to God.